from Tom Tech and Lo-Fi Arts. This is Story Hacker with an XR at the end. For more info, visit tomtechblog.com. So do you want to do the first hello? We both have to say hello, don't we? It's good, yeah, okay. Hello, hello, and welcome back. (laughs) I quite like the little, right? Yeah, it's fine, we can do a bit of that. I'll leave some of this in. Hello, welcome back to Story Hacker, with an XR at the end. This podcast from Tom Tech explores all things arts and technology. I'm James. And I'm Chris. It's lovely to have you back. Exciting new things to talk about. Love a February, mate. Very exciting. Yeah. This week... James went to the South Bank University in that London to interview Rachel, Dan and Joe of Fanshen Theatre who describe themselves as a, a recovering theatre company and they've recently added Joe into their ranks who is specifically a computational artist. What's interesting about these guys is they want to make theatre but they're bored of using a theatre building to do it in. And part of that is technology. As a company, Rachel and Dan sort of head up Fanshen and then they brought in uh, Joe, who's a computational artist, to mess with their systems and really help them tell their stories in different ways. It's an interesting setup. So they'll be talking about two projects that they've got on the go at the moment. One is already up now as we speak at Battersea Arts Centre in London. It's called The Justice Syndicate and it's a piece where you end up taking part in a jury making a decision about a story and the other one they're just developing now is more like a kind of um, AI based interactive dating app I suppose called Looking for Love and you had a go on that as well you James. I had a go on a very early first draft I'm very excited about it. Yeah sounds great. And I'm sure you'll be able to see that later in the year um, hopefully maybe in Brighton. So here is James's interview with all three of them up at South Bank University this is Fanshen Theatre. We're here in Southbank University uh, with Fan Chen Theatre. Thank you for letting me in your rehearsal room. I've interrupted exciting things happening with your latest show, which we'll talk about in a bit. Uh, and also want to talk about your show coming up at Spassi called The Justice Syndicate at Battersea Arts Centre. Before we get anywhere near that, can I get you to introduce yourselves? So I'm Dan Barnard. Um, I'm call myself Artistic Director of Fan Chen, but I basically co-run the company with Rachel. Uh, I'm Rachel Briscoe. I uh, am creative director of Fanchem because Dan and I wanted to have different job titles. Uh, and I'm Joe McAllister, and I'm just a computational artist. Just, 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 just a computational artist. artist. <laughs> uh, really nice to see you guys again. You very kindly came down to Brighton and hung out for a bit in the late summer. And I'm really excited about the work you make. You call your uh, theatre company a recovering theatre company. Um, and every time you're referenced, it seems to be followed by a justification of why it's not a theatre company, whether it's sick and actually we're not that, but we are that. So talk to me about your um, uh, conflict of interest with the world of theatre. Our process out of the world of theatre. Well, Dan and I both come from a theatre background. We both trained as um, directors and I trained as a writer. And, and, and Fanchen started in... 2007. 2007, thank you. And at that point we really were a theatre company, we did shows where there were people on a stage who pretended to be other people and pretended that there weren't people watching them. Uh, And I suppose over the last uh, 10 years it's been a bit of a, I guess, a drift away from that to what we make now, which is what we call audience-centric work. And I think we never stop being a theatre company because I think we are obsessed with narrative and structure and character and all of those things. But I think for most people, their reference point for theatre is, is really quite a long way off what we make. So we, 
we decided like a recovering theatre company, like a recovering alcoholic, because I don't think you ever leave it behind. <laughs> it's always going to be there. Yeah. <laughs> and I think you get, if you try and call yourself a theatre company and do stuff like we do, you end up in like, but is it theatre? And um, we don't really care anymore as long as it's good. But um, I think it's really helpful to acknowledge the X in the theatre because it informs so much of how we think about audiences and the journey of audiences and story and dramaturgy and... Yeah. It's interesting that theatre can sometimes be a, a safe space to make work or invite people in, but also as a real barrier to, to actually engaging with audience in a different way. So, uh, let's talk about two of your works that are currently in action and about one as a sort of early-ish nebulous idea on its way to growing into a project and one that's fully formed. So let's start off with uh, Justice Syndicate, the Justice Syndicate. Uh, opening at Battersea Art Centre from the 11th to the 23rd of Feb. Very good. Yes. Got the dates better than I <laughs> uh, Is there any way people can get tickets? Is no. it sold out? It is sold, it's sold out. out. So, okay, we're looking yeah. for it. Look out for it on tour, then, I guess. We'll yeah, come somebody book it. And so there might be can... returns or something, I guess, maybe, but yeah. It's worth yeah. having a look. Well, that's, I mean, that's a good sign, right, for a yeah. new show that it's, it's completely gone. This is not an easy thing to explain, um, and there's various elements of it we need to get into. To begin with, it's got quite a bold aim in, the, in your um, uh, sort of copy you've written about it, or maybe this review, the sort of sense of really pushing how people can be open-minded and tolerant and rationality in our world. Why did the Justice Syndicate get made in the first place? And then we talk about how we made it. Yeah, so I think the starting point was, um, it was kind of early 2016 and the idea of the Brexit mess that's now come into being was sort of on the horizon. Little did we know how bad it would be. Um, and, and sort of Trump and all of that. Uh, and it really just felt like um, we were, as a society, getting to this place where it was really difficult to talk to people who didn't share values and experiences with you, whether in real life or uh, you know online where the algorithms make sure that we don't even see those things in our social media feeds. Um, and so I think we were really interested in uh, could art create a sort of um, space where people with different and potentially opposing views and values could come together and rather than just dismissing each other as idiots, actually listen to each other and potentially have uh, their views affected. So that was one of the, that was one of the starting points and, and sadly it feels like that's become more, not less, necessary over the past two years. Yeah, that's the reason you've sold out. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> What's interesting about your process is you start with an idea like that and how you approach it. I mean that very easily could become a dramatic uh, piece of theatre that you go and see, a courtroom drama or whatever. Um, and you explore those things there. You, you haven't taken that approach, you've, you've gone much more direct. So, Talk through how you come to the idea around how you use your, utilise your audiences in a way to get that story across. I guess we're quite interested in how can, how can you as an audience member directly experience something for yourself as yourself in an experience. So rather than watching a character go through something and then reflecting on uh, what I would do in that situation or reflecting on their decisions, which is you know an amazing process and really interesting, but we're quite interested in going actually let's let the audience do it and then afterwards reflect on, on what they did and why and, and think about that. Yeah, so we've been quite interested for a little while in how to really give people that kind of experience. And we didn't actually know it was going to be a jury format when we started working on the piece. We knew we were really interested in how can people disagree with each other civilly. And we were working with Krista Mayer, who's a neuroscientist, 
on some ideas from social psychology and different models for how groups interact with each other and how groups come into conflict with each other. And we came up with, we spent a week coming up with a load of ideas as to how you might create some kind of experience that gives people a sense of, of this. And one of the ideas that we came up with was uh, the idea of a jury. And that seemed to be a really interesting place because it's a place where you can come to disagreement with each other and enter into conflict, but it's not... Um, uh, what we're trying to say is not very deeply personal conflict because you're all collectively deciding about someone else's case. I think in all of our work, we're we're always really keen to find a really accessible route in for people who are doing it. So, like everybody's, you know, everybody knows what a courtroom is like. You know, they watched like Ali McBeal. That's such an outdated reference. <laughs> Bang up. If you are in your thirties, watch Ali McBeal. Um, or what's the one that Shireen likes? The Good Wife. Oh, All of yeah. these things. So, like everybody goes, oh yeah, I know that. And I think if you're doing something uh, new in inverted commas with form, I think it's really important to give people something really recognisable um, and uh, familiar in really early on in the piece, because. Um, if everything else is a bit weird, give them something to grab onto. So I think that was why, as well, a jury. What's my experience? I go in as an audience member, and then what happens? So we're sat, we're in a jury. Yeah, you sit around a table with eleven other people. Each of you has an iPad. You receive uh, evidence. The idea is that you're recapping evidence in a trial that's happened. So you have uh, videos, audio stuff, documents. Uh, sometimes people ask to read out different bits. Uh, and then uh, at different intervals the group is asked to discuss whether at that moment in time they're thinking is the defendant guilty or not guilty and you sort of progress along that with more evidence being added in uh, until the end when you have to reach a majority decision. So it's quite simple actually, it's one decision, you know, people people make these crazy branching narrative stories with you know, a gazillion decisions, I'm like no, just one. <laughs> So Joe Rachel says that's simple. Yeah, uh, it's very simple. <laughs> you are the brains behind the sort of computational element of this piece. Can you, without obviously giving away what your system's doing, can you explain yeah. a little bit from that side of how you play to it? Yeah, so I suppose when we came together to try and figure out what the technology was, it was pretty loose of that idea, and we pretty quickly realised that what we wanted was incredibly niche, um, and there weren't a lot of reference points of what to base this off. Um, so we ended up developing a really unique system that was really interwoven into what we wanted. We ended up building an entire platform that does our every whim, everything that we want. To not give away too much, it does some machine learning things in the background. Uh, the machine learning things are designed to try and make it, uh, make the experience the best for the jurors, never sway them. Um, and it also does some very, very clever things with video syncing, but I'm not going to bore everyone by saying I spent like six months on trying <laughs> to sync videos, um, which I hated, but the feeling of fixing that in the end was wonderful. But it was all about making technology that blended in, which was the weirdest thing for me, because usually uh, my background before this was, was kind of just installation art and big kind of, you know, the typical studio-based installation art where you're trying to get someone to come up to it and acknowledge the technology and play with it. But this was more of an idea of how can we make technology blend in so no one really thinks about the fact they're using iPads and instead they focus on the case more than how do I make this document get bigger, that kind of thing. We can't give too much away. No. But the 11, 12 people sat in the room 
and the different audiences will appear on different nights and see it in different nights. Is this the same show that they all see? Does it change as it goes? So what, we can't, can't no, 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 we can't talk about it. I mean, it, just say when we need to cut stuff. No, out. no, 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 we don't. So much of the show is, is dependent on the people in the room. Yeah. You know, they see the same evidence and in the same order, but they will probably pick up on different things. Um, a reasonable amount of the show is just the audience discussing the case with each other. And they're really different every time because different people focus on different bits of evidence, different bits of evidence become more important to those juries, and the group dynamics change, so sometimes the group very easily come into agreement with each other, sometimes they really sort of form into two camps and battle it out yeah. in a civilised way. Sometimes it's a majority against one or two individuals, those one or two individuals really make their argument really strongly. So we've never sort of gone, oh, that was just like that other show. Like some, there are some threads that have been similar across different shows, but each show different things come out and different people bring in, not all the time, people bring in different elements of their own story and their own perspective yeah. and their own background to kind of inform the conversation which is really interesting as well. And, and they surprise each other often with the things they say. So someone might have a cliched understanding of what another person in the room might be like or what they might think, and then the other person might really prove themselves to be utterly different to the expectations of the other jurors, which is really interesting. And we get topical events that come up a lot as well. So we did a few performances after quite a lot of awful headlines, like the Weinstein things. And yeah, we can the, say that it's, like it's that. a sexual assault case. But that's not. A, yeah, that's not a spoiler. That's so in it's, a set, it's, a, it's a medically set or an NHS set. Uh, thing, so, isn't it? Yeah. That's in the copy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. His doctor, he's a yeah, doctor who's been accused of, of sexual assault. We're allowed to yeah. say that. Okay. And we do see very different discussions based on the recent event as well. So after wine scene of things or the um, Kavanaugh. Kavanaugh hearings and things like that. I think we did a show like the day after the Kavanaugh hearings, yeah. and that it was so present in the room. Yeah, that's really interesting, isn't it? How life impacts your what the work is. I've seen some of these things before and what the real challenge is is how do you create that balance? How do you push it or test it to see that you're not overly leading them in a certain way or that you're trying to force them into some results? That probably could be worded better. No, iteration, uh, we, really. yeah, we just did different tests and it got better. <laughs> <laughs> we don't consistently see the same verdict, which yeah. is a sign that that's, we got that out right. It is a thing, I guess, as theatre makers that we've learned from the world of technology is that iterate and test model and the sort of time scales that you need for that. And although, I mean, theatre does do rehearsed readings or it does work in progress performances and feedback and so on. So there is that sort of model in theatre, but I think it's much stronger in the tech world. And so we did, uh, we did some paper prototypes and we were saw, oh, it's leaning too, e there's too many guilty verdicts in this. It's, it's leaning too far this way. So we need to tweak the evidence. Oh, we tested it. And, oh no, now we've gone too far the other way. So there was a bit of like um, fiddling with different elements of the audience and uh, the evidence. I mean, and even at one point we changed the gender of the person who was given some evidence, and that tweaked something as well and how people responded mm -hmm. to different mm -hmm. bits like that until we got to a point where it felt the most balanced it could kind of be, which is what you want for a good discussion I think. Well there's a lot in that I can't wait to see it I've got my tickets before it's sold out so it's great to see it BAC um, that's the Justice Syndicate um, I'm sure it will be around anymore you can find out more on your website I'm sure
Do you want to talk a little bit about how you work together and how you feed into a live process? What are your five top tips of making this work well? What's the, or just explain your relationship to one another? Mm. I think there isn't even five top tips. I think there is one top tip, which is like, find someone you like and keep working with them. Because I just think in this whole arts and tech world, so many relationships are forged over an application form. And I think that's the most awful way to start working with someone. Because you don't have any shared language and it's all a bit like, oh, I must be on my best behaviour and say the thing which makes me look good and da da da. And then you get in the room and you're like, oh, we can't do that, can we? So I think we were really lucky um, to end up working together on the Justice Syndicate. And sort of out of that have come more ideas than I think we can probably <laughs> deal with this year. Probably. But, because um, I think so often, so we did one project before we started working with Joe, which was a sort of arts and tech project. Um, and that was very much us coming up with a whole bunch of ideas and going to uh, a studio and being like, can you make these happen? Yeah. Uh, and they charged us quite a lot of money and made it work about 60% of the time. But actually, they had no creative agency. so. I sort of see it from their point of view because, you know, they weren't in it from the beginning. Whereas, although you, Joe, came on board when we'd started working on Justice Syndicate, it was still super early. Yeah, it was. It was quite strange because I changed my working pattern almost entirely, I think, during that week. And we developed this kind of unusual style, which was that I will try and do as much of the technology live as we progress in the project instead of just being like you come to me I have no input and it's just like we want this this and this it's more of a let's build it together and go we need this crazy thing and then I'm gonna go away and figure out how to do it and then we're gonna make it so it was all about trying to work at the same time in completely different timescales which somehow we do um, in particular, Looking for Love is one of those things where I think we're trying to get that balance right again, where it's like, how do we offset a lot of technology with the right time of writing? But it's actually really quite a fun way of working, and it, it's not the default way I was taught when I was becoming a digital artist, <laughs> where it was really like, go, go, go into your corner, go do the, do the work, monkey. Just do it, and that kind of thing. Which I've had projects like that, and they're not fun. For more info, visit tomtechblog.com. So I think, I was thinking about this today actually, I think the thing that unites how we're working is that we're always trying to look at it from the audience's perspective. And I don't think that's particularly... Uh, native to theatre either, or certainly not traditional theatre. I think it's more like, what does my character want? You know, what does my character have for breakfast or whatever it is? But I think with this, we're always like, what does the audience need to know at this point and what will be the most elegant way of, of doing that? And that's guiding both what we're writing narratively and, and how it's sort of delivered to them. Yeah, definitely. Top tip number two, which is really part of an intense relationship, uh, not an intense relationship, but a sort of a really good relationship anyway, is just to ask about how long things will take. Mm. Sometimes yeah. things that you think are really easy are really hard. And then uh, things that you think will be really, really difficult are actually really quick and easy. So there are some things that you want to be like, can we just try this thing and see if it works? And it's to ask if that's going to take three weeks, in which case, no, let's just make an artistic <laughs> decision about do we want it or not want it. 
or um, actually this thing that I'm worried might be so difficult it's impossible, I think I wouldn't even ask for it. I'd actually just ask Joe, Joe, mm. how hard is this then? And sometimes it's much easier than I think. And there's so. more reason to work with people that you're comfortable with saying no or, or comfortable saying, you know what, I have no idea, I'll give it a go. Because with a lot of other people that I've worked with, it's, you don't have that. And it's just, it's a huge roadblock when you're developing a piece. And that sometimes be a thing where Joe would be like, I don't know how long it will take, give me an hour. And then after an hour, he'll say, it's going to take me another three days or it's going to take me another half hour or actually I've done it. So, yeah, that's an important rhythm thing. And right now, Rachel and I are about a week ahead of Joe in a way on this current show in terms of just what we've written and what you've written. But then actually you're doing something today that means that actually we'll be all in the same place by the end of tomorrow. So, Yeah. yeah. Which we came up with this morning, and that shows how immediate this kind of thing is. We work day by day. But I think there is a thing also, I mean, this doesn't have to go in the podcast, but about, like, Justice Syndicate got no money from the Arts Council, Mm. uh, and neither is Looking for Love so far. And I think we all reached a point where we went, fuck it, we're just going to make this, because the funding structures don't exist yet which recognise this kind of project. And we are all very privileged in that we are in the position to do that. Um, you know, and because Justice Syndicate exists, we're now being asked to make other things with the platform, which we can charge like a higher day rate for, and then that pays back to make artistic projects. And you know, it's the beginning of a model that might work in the future. But I, I really wonder how easy it is, how possible it is to make projects like this if you're like, oh, we've committed to this work in progress sharing at the end of next week, and we need to have this done. I think it'd be really hard. To well, how do you, that's kind of against your process from what you just said then, is the idea of going, it's going to look like this, and actually you'd kind of need that money, which is, you know, that money's there as risk money, that R&D early stage funding or small scale funding from the, our national funders. What's your support network? Where is your support network? Because it's not as additional, maybe if you're a, a traditional theatre company, you would have a friend at the Bristol Vic and a friend at something in Manchester and so and so, and they would be the ones who would chip in a bit of money and then you get a show going. Your network looks a bit different than that. So we're here in Southbank University, for example, in the middle of a uni. What's, how, how do you build your network around you to, because you make such uh, genre-defying <laughs> <laughs> projects? Um, I mean, I think universities are like really key to that. So Dan lectures here at London Southbank University. Yeah, there's a Centre for Research and Digital Storymaking here, and so they're really interested in... And there's a digital performance research group there's a real interest in how there's an intersection between performance and, and digital technologies and stuff. So, so until like November last year, when we did a corporate gig and bought the iPads, every time we did the show we borrowed iPads from London South Bank University. Excellent work. So, and they give us space to work in and they've given us little bits of money occasionally, but not very much. And what, what do they get back then? What is it for the university that's useful to be open to projects or collectives or companies like yours? I think there's an interest in it from two angles, I guess. I think part of it is wanting to genuinely be and then also to be seen as at the forefront of what's happening so that you can attract staff and students and and all that kind of thing. So you're seen as the kind of the place to be for this kind of work. And then I think there's also things that can come out of it. So it's possible that the Justice Syndicate might get adapted into some kind of pedagogical tools and then that would be really useful for teaching 
within universities. And to be um, fair, sort of King's, where Chris's um, neuroscientist supported the first sort of iteration of it, and we're now working with a different department at King's to adapt the platform for their needs. So I suppose there is a, a cycle. And there's research papers that can come out of it as well, and that's another important part of what universities get. So what else is, what other support networks do we have? From we should acknowledge Near Now, which is yeah. a, a studio in Nottingham, which have a, a, a yeah, an Arts Council funded um, arts and tech fellowship, uh, which I was lucky enough to have last year and Joe is currently in the recipient of. And that is super rare in that it is, it is money to develop your practice mm. and that's so rare. Um, and I know how hard it is and I know how much pressure the Arts Council are under. Um, I just don't know how we, you know, develop the art form if all you can ever do is, is make projects. It's kind of all that funding comes from different places that isn't directly uh, focused at what your output is, which is sort of, mm. I would say, is the most interesting bit of going, oh, we should go and explore so you're selling out shows at Batty Arts Centre and things like that. But actually you're robbing money and taking money from different <laughs> parts, <laughs> legitimately, but like, you know, to, to build your own product. I think that's a real problem in the sector. Partly what we're just sort of looking at Tom Tech as well and go, well, how can we be better to support people? What is there out there and how does this all work? And what's the difference between the big organisations and the small organisations? So I think it's a really interesting yet unresolved challenge. Yeah, and there are people like Tom Tech, and we should also say that the Bassi Arts Centre have been mm. amazing in terms of booking Justice Syndicate, but also supporting us to make the next piece. So there are there are people out there, but I mean, maybe it is a thing to do with scale, you know, in, in, in the grand scheme of things. BAC are quite small, Tomtek are quite small. I wonder how much flexibility there is within, you know, what the big kids do. I want to talk about Looking for Love, partly because it's a subject very close to my heart. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And uh, I've been a long-time user and long-time failure of uh, many different dating apps in my world. So, Looking for Love, what is it? Why why are you making this piece of work? This is the first time we're talking about this, I think. Oh, that's actually, exciting. Actually, yeah. apart from funding applications, which get turned down. Um, <laughs> um, I'm trying to think where it came from. I think... No, that's the wrong place to start. Looking for Love is um, a piece of interactive digital fiction. That's sort of the form that it takes. And within that, it, it sort of sits within a dating app. What we were really interested in was sort of the meeting point between uh, artificial intelligence and human people uh, because it's that thing like in any craft when you try and join two materials together that's the point where it's quite difficult and where weird stuff happens and so I think we were really interested in, in making a piece which on the surface is about you know love which is this incredibly human thing um, but one of the questions we're trying to ask with the piece is, is through, I suppose, through personalisation, you know, could artificial intelligence actually be a better listener than your boyfriend? Because it's not bringing its own junk to the table. Um, anyone else want to pitch in? It might be not the best place to start, but I think it's the first project that's really come out of the three of our collective mm. interests yeah. at the same time. So. Joe, you've got quite an interest in data and personalisation from quite a long time back and that kind of intersected with our interest in story, I guess, and it's very much our two sets of interests coming together at the same time. Yeah, and in a purely selfish way, I've always wanted to make something that used AI in a non-stereotypical way because there's so many pieces of art out there with AI that's just a very, very boring take, but this is very different. So it's a piece that takes place on your mobile phone. 
over a duration of two weeks. You know, so notifications will be popping up, you know, among your WhatsApps and Twitter and whatever else. And it's the first piece that we've made where an audience aren't co-located, where they're not in the same space. People do come together at the end, but we haven't written that bit, so I'm not going to talk about it. But um, I think there's just a thing about phones. Um, like, they're such a part of us. They're the first thing you look at in the morning and probably the last thing you look at when you go to sleep. Um, and they're not going away, like, however much we, we have a problem with how much time we spend on our phones. So we just felt like we sort of had to start acknowledging that in our work. And like right back in 2012, we stopped making uh, work for theatre buildings because we just felt that there's only a really specific type of person who comes to theatre buildings. And we were like, actually, that's not why we do this. So we started making outdoor work so that, you know, people would trip over it on the way to Lidl or whatever. And it, and it feels like actually making for online is sort of the digital equivalent. People trip over it on their way to YouTube or whatever they're doing. So I think we're really excited by this as a, as a site, a site of performance. Um, the university is there. Um, <laughs> but but um, I, I, yeah, lots of questions. We have lots of questions. We, we don't have all the answers. Um, How is this technology powder? What's, what's enabling you to tell the story in this way? So we took a little bit of a different perspective because we did the kind of same thing where we look at it from the theatrical point of view rather than the AI point of view. And there's this, this a common problem in AI uh, called persistent personality or persistence. It's very hard to make an AI chatbot that you might talk to on the phone or via text speech where you might be using those terrible Facebook things where you're like, what? how much do I owe my tax bill? And they're like, mm, I don't know what that means. Um, but we're taking it from a perspective where we want it to be a person and the person to develop and change and be interesting. So we're making, well, yeah, we're making a new form of AI uh, which, which embeds that, embeds personality that slowly grows over time within a dating app and that's really the most I think I can really the way you The way you've spoken about it for which makes sense to me in a mm. not very technical way is that um, often like chatbots are neutral yeah. whereas what we're doing here is we're making sort of shells of characters and that's the starting point for any of the AI interaction and as the story progresses that shell is sort of fleshed in with things that the system takes from the player and takes from previous answers and, and so so it's a, an increasingly personalised shell yes. which sort of becomes a character. Is that not what That's we all are? An increasingly <laughs> personalised shell. That's a far more relevant way of saying. Starts a metaphor, yeah. yeah. So this isn't something you're. This isn't an app you're going to build, release, stand back, let people download and play. This is. This has a live element to it, or is, or even if it's automated, there's something that's growing or moving as part of people play it or utilise or engage with it in certain ways. Yeah, I, I don't know if we've decided exactly the form that it takes, but I, it's. A downloadable app that <laughs> eventually, yeah. I think in the first instance, I mean, I think I suppose the other thing that really feels big at the moment is is concerns around data. I think since all of this stuff that came out last year about Facebook and Cambridge Analytica and things, I think people on some level acknowledge that that's an issue, whether they adapt their behaviour or not. Um, so uh, I think some of the conversations we've had around looking for love, where people have been nervous, funders have been nervous are because uh, it, it, it could be used for catfishing, I suppose. Well, yeah. <laughs> um, it's absolutely not w what we're doing, but 
it sort of means that people's entry point into playing it needs to be through something trusted. So for the moment, it's going to be something where you buy a ticket from a cultural venue, so from Tom Tech or whatever, and then you get your code and then that means you can access it. And then the culmination of the piece, you will go to either that cultural venue or somewhere nearby it, and that's where it sort of ends. So it's cyclical. So there's a live, there's potentially a live song. Yeah, we the end. There's a sort of there's a sort of AR experience at the end, which brings together a lot of the themes and and characters that you've met and things, um, and which is personalised to you. So for the moment, that's what it is. But in the long term. Yeah, I mean, it's this question, isn't it? How does theatre reach beyond, you know, the 400 people that we manage to get in the doors? So I suppose long-term we do have to be thinking what, what's the translation of this to something you could get on the App Store? I think but what um, that's really interesting. What niggles me about... I really think about what the rules of theatre are and why what are useful for us and which are not. And there is something about holding an audience. It's very embarrassing to get up in the middle of a show you're not liking and walk out, which I hate because of... I, I paid for it, I'm a customer, so I should be able to walk out of this terrible. Um, but there's a, there's a sense where you just can't do that because you're part of a collective experience, a, a shared experience. Um, when you work outside of a physical space on an app, it's very easy for me to just give up, not play, um, try and break it, play it in different mm. ways, play it whilst drunk or do it while I'm not, or ignore that notification I get. So how are you exploring the, those sort of realms around what's the critical narrative and how you get it through, those sort of challenges? But I think what you said is really interesting because all of those things are things that can happen in outdoor work. Mm. Like you can walk away, people can be drunk, people can try and break your set. You know, and, and weirdly, although they're sort of polar opposites in terms of how people think about performance, I think a lot of the stuff that we learn through making outdoor work, you know, you, you do or die on what's happening. And if it's boring, people will just leave. So it's kind of that. We just have to make it really good and test it and, you know, look at when people stop playing and, and why is that and fix that and, and keep going. And that would be lots of iterating and testing in the end, wouldn't it? It'd be, we'll do some test audiences and we'll go, oh, like, you know, 30% of people dropped out on day three. Oh, that's interesting. What do we need to do on, on day three to sort it out? I suppose that's a gift of this work that you don't get in theatre, because we've all been enough showings, early stage showings of R&Ds, and it's our mates normally are on stage, so we say it's the, it's the best piece of theatre we've ever seen in our life, you should definitely make it. The reality is we shouldn't do, because it's terrible. But you get real information back from people here, Joe. So yeah, we get pure data, you can't really lie about data. How's that as a relationship between you creatively going, we want this to happen, but actually you start to, I know it's early in the process, so you're not like it with this show, but how do you, you've got real data, you can't argue with it, is there a frustration between that and what you're trying to push as a narrative if you've got to kind of sway with an audience? We don't know yet, yeah. but I, I feel like we just take it and be like, okay, well, it doesn't work, so we'll change it. It no, might be around how the story is told. It might not be that it changes the story, but it might be like we need to tell day three in a more interesting way somehow, because yeah. that's when people are dropping out. Or it might be when we need to take the story in a slightly different direction on day three. Or there's an analogy in terms of theatre practice as well that I'm kind of interested in that I haven't looked into loads yet with one-on-one performance because there is the kind of one of the things we're aiming for is the kind of intimacy of a, an interaction with just one one character over a sustained period of time where you might open up more and be more intimate than you would uh, in a in an interactive or participatory performance with more other people so I'm quite interested to see whether that's a, an interesting analogy or, or not. And also I think it's okay if people do stop. Like, 
Yeah, I mean, I hope they won't be really sad, but they probably won't have paid over £10 to do it. And if they get halfway through, I think, I don't know. Well, I imagine people stop not all for the same reasons. Exactly. So they stop because they're bored or they're not engaged with all the text not working or something like that. That's fair enough. But actually, people, it's kind of interesting to find out why, yeah. how long they play for. Because I think there is that thing of like shared experience. I, I, I think we can over push that. And I, I think that people actually have very different experiences. I think that's one of the things that we're really interested in. Like I think in Justice Syndicate, although everyone sees the same evidence and talks in the same discussions, I think people have such different experiences because everybody's coming into contact or conflict with their own beliefs. So that's going to be different for everyone. There's something interesting I've been thinking about today in that there's a, a feature of interactive fiction is, is replay and that you, you play the same thing multiple times to see the different paths. And we're really not building it designed for replay because this, the arc of the story is quite similar uh, however you play it. But I think actually today I was thinking that actually for certain people with a certain kind of interest it will be interesting to play it more than once potentially because of the little differences that there are in, in the different um, personalizations that there are and the different choices you make and the different characters that you interact with. So... Yeah, that's just a that's very a, much a today's thought that's just popped up. I think it's a tool mind. for audiences to understand process, isn't it? If you play it once and get dumbfounded by the personality you end up with or how what you've sussed out about me, you kind of want to go back and find out what information you gave. It's so, the branching narrative again, where branching narratives in technology at least usually are hell. Um, and it's never good to do a branching narrative because you're constantly trying to get back to that resolution. But it's through the shell of the characters that you can embed some a different experience that's personalised for each person. Yeah. And I'm fairly confident from the ones that we've done so far and testing on myself and a few people that you get a really good range of different experiences based on who you match with. Yeah, we'll see. If I had to draw the shape of it, it's the same for everyone. But it's like one arc and then a zigzag line that sort of cuts across that as it goes. But yeah, I mean, at the moment we we have sort of obviously we draw on our own experience, which like all artists, so a lot of the characters at the moment are in their twenties, thirties, forties, hipster, queer, um, and we at some point need to you know make characters in their sixties um, and characters who read the Daily Mail. We're desperately trying to write some Tories at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> the hardest challenge. <laughs> Your stuff's easy, it's the visualisation of a Tory. It's really exciting to hear you talk about it mid-process and uh, maybe we should come back and talk at the end when it's when it's out and you can be interested to go back. People are going to be interested in it, so what's the journey or the outline journey from here? A lucky, lucky, maybe they're going to be lucky, a group of um, guinea pigs can actually play the first two weeks. Uh, you can buy your ticket from BAC and it's going to be part of a festival uh, in April. Uh, so yeah, a, a small group of people will will be our guinea pigs. Do the first two weeks, tell us what's terrible about it, uh, and then we'll finish making it later in the year. Great, exciting stuff. Watch this space. Um, thank you so much, guys. It's really interesting to chat to you. Where can people find out more about you? Can you give me some Twitter handles and some uh, website addresses? Yeah, uh, Joe.ac which everyone thinks is a fake uh, website, but it's not. Uh, and uh, at Portable Storm, like you're port like carrying around a storm. Yeah. There's a reason for that. 
but that's some people story. understand <laughs> it's not an emo like username there is a clever little inside joke there nice and i should say actually on your website you've written up in extensive detail some of the background technology yes. for the justice syndicate which i yeah. can't profess to have understood more than 75 percent of it but my god i like your font choice and the uh, layout and stuff. no it's a really great in-depth process so if anyone's uh, keen on the the background of how justice syndicate was made that's a very good place to start linked from the fan shen website which is fanshen.org.uk that's f-a-n-s-h-e-n and our twitter is at fanshen x just the ladder x yeah <laughs> rachel dan joe thank you very much for your time thank, thank you, you. So that was James's interview with Fan Shen Theatre, and uh, you can see the Justice Syndicate. Oh no, you can't because it's sold out. Tough. <laughs> so that was James's interview with Fan Shen Theatre. What's really interesting about Fan Shen is the way they merge processes uh, that you traditionally find in a theatre setting, um, and then working with a computational artist and the processes of how he works and how he puts things together, and yet. It's a collaborative process, so I'm really excited with what they're doing. I can't wait to see the Justice Syndicate. We've got tickets. I'm afraid it's sold out for the rest of you, but I'm sure you'll see it on tour somewhere. And keep an eye out for Looking for Love. I better drop their Twitter handles in case I missed it in the thing. Um, so Fan Shen X Theatre, that's um, F-A-N-S-H-E-N-X Theatre on Twitter. And you can follow Joe at Portable Storm. Thank you so much for listening to Story Hacker with an XR at the end. James, where can our dear listener find out more about us? So we've got a website, tomtechblog.com, or you can follow us on the Twitter at tomtech underscore. Goodbye. Goodbye. Take care. Talk to you next time. <laughs> Don't fly up.